Let's hear some of that movie chat. Credits roll by and I tip my hat. Credits roll by, wanna know more right away. Let's have some of that movie chat. Credits roll by, tell me who did that. Life in the credits is where I wanna play. Welcome to Life in the Credits. This is the show where we learn about entertainment by chatting with people who work in the industry. I'm Susan. And I'm Ben. And today we're discussing the film Love and Basketball. And joining us today is our special guest, Natalie Kochekians. Welcome, Natalie. Thank hey, you Natalie. for joining us. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yes, yeah, so we're really excited to talk to you. We are so excited to talk to you today. So can you tell us a little bit about what you've done in the film industry? It's a loaded question, a big one. So it's been a little over a decade now. I feel like I've kind of run the gamut of entertainment. So I I did not go to film school just to preface. I did not have this really clear direction of where I was headed or what was going to happen in my career um, that I know a lot of my friends and colleagues have now. So we'll, so we'll start there. I knew I Boston was too cold and it was time to move to LA where <laughs> entertainment existed right after school. So I actually was able to get a job a semester before graduation. And that ended up being um, in reception or the mail room at Creative Artist Agency. Awesome. So that was around 2011, which was very much still, um, just to give context, I think of some of my stories as we move through the conversation, a very, very different sort of traditional Hollywood situation than I would say probably today. So that kind of started my career. It was a very uh, traditional role in Hollywood, but it, it didn't help elevate my career in the way that I thought it was going to be. Basically a very long journey through assistant, you know, floating on desk, assistant, agent trainee, agent track, and none of that's really guaranteed. So right. uh, after about two years, an opportunity opened up at Paramount Pictures. It was more on the brand partnerships, uh, consumer product side. So a lot of my jobs, uh, I was an assistant. So I was assistant to president of brand partnerships and consumer products. And it was very much my first real taste of Hollywood, I could say, uh, as an assistant. Uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, I worked also for a president, which meant uh, high visibility, a lot of scripts, a lot of director meetings and filmmaker meetings. So it was great in terms of exposure and being on the distribution side of filmmaking. Uh, and that was kind of my goal at the time, right? I, you know, and at CAA, it was awesome. We, we were there to meet a lot of celebrities. But at the end of the day, I only had stories to tell about partying with people or hanging out with people. And I didn't feel like I had any fulfillment. So gotcha. that was kind of my segue. It was kind yeah. of the role of Paramount. It was a very challenging role. And I knew the moment I got that job, um, I was going to use that as a stepping stone for something that really meant more to me and, and something that had more career growth. So right. to say the least, it worked out in a sense. I ended up impressing someone that was an executive at Paramount Pictures. Uh, and he ended up landing a really great role at Lucasfilm and about six months after his departure offered me uh, an opportunity as a project manager. And that was how Star Wars happened. And I was at Lucasfilm working on Star Wars for a little over four years. And it was definitely a highlight of my career. So from that fluctuation, right, it was agency and then studio and then Lucasfilm, although they're under the Disney umbrella, really operates more, I want to say like a production company, you know, okay. we're doing right. a lot of crewing, we're doing a lot of, I'm on set constantly, we're, we're responsible for creative and uh, we're responsible for every piece of the Star Wars universe, yeah. <laughs> um, minus the distribution and marketing materials. So I touched everything. It was just my manager and I, uh, I was part of Franchise Creative. Um, we cr we started this whole creative review process, which meant every single thing that had Star Wars slapped onto it was on my desk. And then wow. I would be the first line of defense before my boss. And then he saw Business Critical and then Kathy Kennedy 
who was a uh, president. That was the segue. So it was the three of us. And that was kind of how all creative re- was reviewed. That's for video game, key art. That's for any banner poster. That's for the R2-D2 rap we did on an ANA airplane that yeah. flew from Japan to Texas. Um, <laughs> that's from all the Disney parks. I would go down to Burbank. I would see the landscapes before Star Wars Land was built. Um, I, I would get to sit in the different cockpits of the uh, rides. And uh, honestly, you want to throw up when you are on those, when you're on a gimbal <laughs> and there's, you're not moving, but the yeah. graphics are moving. It right. is a horrible experience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool, but horrible. Yeah. So it, it was everything Star Wars at the time. Um, I know that universe has expanded and changed a little bit, but that that was how it was because we were starting the new trilogy. So I, my first day at Lucasfilm was the day we started production on Force Awakens. Wow. That's wild. It is wild. So, so yeah. And then I guess the long short of it all is I had to move to San Francisco and I was a little bit sort of exhausted by the process and the paycheck. And I was living in the Bay area and I was like, okay, well, you know, there's this whole tech world that exists. I know we're sort of adjacent to it, but we haven't, you know, we had just switched to Gmail my second year or something at Lucasfilm. So, you know, I know these were only a few years ago, but we're really talking about a different world than we are today. And, uh, yeah. And so I, I ended up getting a job at Google through, uh, someone I knew at Lucasfilm. And and I will say that's something I'd like to highlight throughout this conversation is that every job was opened up as an opportunity based on the relationships that I had worked so hard on building. Yeah. And then Google, I've sort of navigated that space in a different way too. And today talking to you, I am at YouTube and I've been there a little over two years and I'm an operations manager. So I guess for this conversation, I am very much in the the post uh, part of, okay. I'm, I'm right after post, I'm post okay. post, if you will. And that's kind of the sacred space that is YouTube versus any other sort of, even streamer. We, we create our films, we produce our films, we pay our creators, which is also a little different because they also have full control in a lot of ways, um, which is not the experience at a studio. Let me tell you, right. that was a big culture shock. And, and then we, my job in particular is the last line of defense before that show launches onto the YouTube platform itself. Oh, wow. Interesting. And hearing about the Star Wars part, so it wasn't really just the movies or like the TV shows, like you really worked on the whole, like the whole franchising part of it. And the whole what brand. It got used for. That's really interesting. The whole shebang. Yeah. Star Wars is its, its, its own world. And, and I say that because I don't think people really understand what it takes to make those movies. The majority of the film was practical sets. Yeah. And that is almost unheard of one from a budget standpoint, <laughs> um, but especially now in 2022. And, and we, we built the entire Millennial Falcon multiple times, interior, exterior. I've sat in that thing many a times. Uh, we build all our creatures, every eyelash, every hair is flocked on every character that you probably don't even see in a movie. And it's a really special place in my heart because I, and I, I am not a Star Wars fanatic, if you will. We'd yeah. like to say too, I think sometimes you can't be in order to touch these films. Right. Sure, that makes sense. In the world. But uh, it really is a special place. And I, I want to say there was less than a hundred people that even worked on the show. Uh, if you don't include all the contractors. And, right, right. But, That's wild. Yeah. So yeah, did you have to do a ton of research and, and really dig into the Star Wars world when, you know, you got that role and started digging into all these, just so you knew what you were talking about and understood all the characters? So it's really funny you ask that. I'm laughing because I remember when I was interviewing for the job, again, this makes me feel so old, but I was telling one of my roommates, boyfriends and all his friends. And I was like, I'm interviewing at Lucasfilm. You know, it's been probably decades since I've seen any of the movies and they had all of them on VHS. I'm not kidding. 
And we, we just sat there and watched all of them. And I took notes and I was like furiously researching George Lucas and how Kathy transitioned and all yeah. Not one time did any of this stuff come up in the interview. But, <laughs> um, I, I was, so yes and no. Uh, I think there was, the, the thing with Star Wars too is like each generation sort of has their bucket of episodes yeah. that they're oh, more yeah. attached to, right? right. Um, so I'm in my thirties. Uh, so I, I feel like we're kind of the bridge between both classic and then the new, uh, episodes or newer episodes at the time. So one, two, and three. And, and I wasn't really attached to either, but obviously there's kind of that ode to the original and George right. Lucas's process. And I was very familiar with that. And what drew me, I think, to really falling in love with the characters and with the IP and the people that make this movie uh, is the amount of attention to detail and the amount of commitment to this, this universe. I mean, we have our story department at the time was like, two people, uh, Pablo Hidalgo is still there and uh, Steve Blank as well, close friends, amazing people. And, you know, if I said, hey, Pablo, there's this character and, uh, you know, we need, uh, he's going to be a toy and I we don't have a name and he doesn't really exist in the universe. He could go and write up this whole story and where he would have, why that character would have existed and what his name would have been, what kind of gases he would have been breathing. And then like, and I'm, and this is a, a real situation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I just remember, you know, these last minute things then, okay, well then it has to get localized overnight. And cause if, you know, the name of the character means shithead in German, yeah. like we can't approve it. And right. so right. all this stuff that happened last minute. And um, <laughs> when JJ Abrams uh, at the time, when we went to Comic-Con, we announced one of our first creatures, his, his name, I think it was one man band was what we were calling him. I forget what the character's name ended up being, but he's this kind of like turtle creature and he had this big cage on his back and uh and that name went through several iterations and i ended up getting it approved about 48 hours before we launched wow. live at Comic con minus wow. the shipping i was also responsible for all the shipping of these characters from london to la it was quite a network i mean we i had to ship bb8s to japan and then the next day they'd have to be in dubai and sometimes the head would come off i mean it was just <laughs> oh no i can't tell you the, I probably didn't sleep at all for those four years, but yeah. um, because every time zone something was happening. Right. It's a really good highlight because one of the things we want to do with this show is think of all the ways people can be working in entertainment right. and everything you just described. I don't think that's a job anyone realized exists. Like, you know, coordinating. Me either. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Until you get there. It's really interesting the amount of work that goes behind you know, promoting, especially anything in the Star Wars universe, but like there's so many moving pieces, so many little things that people don't even, are not little things, so many big things people don't even realize go right. on to make it all 100%. happen. And, and it is, it's the little things, it's the tiniest yeah. details to me that, that make Star Wars such a unique IP as well. And, and I'll say to that, I, I had that same feeling. I was like, why didn't anyone tell me I could be a sound engineer, breaking lettuce, making, recreating the yeah. sound of footprints on snow? Like, yeah. I, you know, like, this is so amazing. Or the hair flocking. And most of these people were, you know, got their master's in arts and then they yeah. did an apprenticeship and then they got this job. And Neil Scanlon, who runs the creature department, he's really well known in that field. And uh, you know, just working on that tea. I mean, the, the creatures to me, I am partial to, they were my favorite part of the world, you know, the way the eyeballs move yeah. and, and everything, but the jobs are incredible. I remember the first screening of Force Awakens because the employees got to see it before it premiered. And I was sitting next to some guy, I had no idea, and I, uh, Industrial Light and Magic. So we were a little separated at Lucasfilm from the VFX team, but they're within our building. Right. And I was like, oh, what did you do? And he's like, you know, when Ray in the first scene is going across the desert in her speeder bike and there's dust behind her, he goes, I'm the dust guy. I made the dust guy. <laughs> you got to meet the dust guy? Awesome. <laughs> but that just goes to show you like 
how specific every yeah. job is. And I can't say of any other film I've worked on that that was the case. So yeah. right. I think people really appreciate the practical effects of Star Wars because it's so well done. And oh, yeah. So hard to it. To me, I mean, it, it's getting better, but there certainly is like the difference between some of the Star Wars movies, which are so digital and the ones that use practical effects. And you can really see the difference between what looks real and what doesn't. Um, so I love that they starting with that film, they really started pushing back towards, you know, making like real puppets and stuff on set, which I think is, is really, really cool. So what other franchises or films have you worked on? Yeah. So when I was at Paramount Studios, uh, those were kind of our bigger blockbuster movies, if you will. So I call them all the two. So Anchorman 2, Ninja Turtles 2, Transformers 2, 3, 4, Mission Impossible 5. Well, that was in that was in pre-production at the time, but those kinds of movies. So it was more the the bigger blockbuster films. Like I said, I was in a brand partnerships consumer products role. So while I was an assistant, a lot of what my manager was doing and the VPs below her were pitching different partnership companies. So the pizzas that the turtles are eating and um, the waste management for the one of the transformer trucks that transform, you know, those kinds of companies, they were creating those partnerships. So So how how does that work? So is it companies, you know, obviously want brand recognition so that they do a, a deal, but who goes to who in that situation? So it's a lot of the studio reaching out. Okay. Basically, I think we had a team of maybe like four or five different um, VPs and SVPs. We had kind of a, kind of our typical list of who our traditional partners had been. Again, like I said, these movies were sequels right. um, a lot of the time. So there was kind of who worked on it in the past. Uh, a lot of basically, you know, big name brands. And so a lot of the time we'd be pitching. Ultimately, these brands are paying to be in the film. Yeah. So right. Uh, and it's not to be confused with product placement because that is a different segment. Sometimes that's not paid for to be in a film, right? So oh, interesting. Okay. Mac laptop. It doesn't mean Apple contributed to the film. So some of that can be director's choice too. There's various uh, ways, but a, but a partnership typically in a contract is guaranteed X amount of time on screen, you know, so-and-so actor wearing, eating, using whatever. So that's kind of just the quickie background on it, but it was, it was us pitching partners as to why they should want to be in this film. And then us figuring out what bids we could get and and how much, how much control do those partners get over the film? That's a great question. You know, I can't answer that totally in confidence, but I will say, I know there were several lawsuits uh, at various studios I worked for because of that. So sometimes it would be, you know, this was guaranteed for this amount of time. Uh, And, and a lot of the times I think it's, you know, it's just part of the nature of it. A, a scene gets cut for whatever right. reason. Yeah. That's yeah. up yeah. to the director. That's up to the studio. That's up to the marketing, the way the film needs to be. Sure. You know, sometimes it's up to clearances. Sometimes we get, you know, I remember that happened on Star Wars. There was a logo that was designed on its own, but it turns out that was a logo at a store in another country that did uh-huh. exist. So they uh-huh. had rights to it. So, you know, there's various reasons that things happen. But I think in terms of control, there's the contract that was agreed to, and then there's what the final product is. And I think it's whatever discrepancies lie, then conversations and legal, legal conversations can happen, but it's not very clear. Yeah. Yeah. When you are like working with a team to develop the backstory of a random character or a name or a logo or, or whatever, I mean, there's so much content that goes into a Star Wars project, plus all of the other side things like commercials and all these stuff. There's so much work that goes into them. How do you make sure that it is an original thing? How you know? How do you do research yeah. to be like, okay, this cool new logo that we made, 
you know, has been used by someone else before, or, you know, this name that we just named this, this turtle guy, uh, you know, <laughs> make sure that, you know, that is original. Yeah. So there's kind of two, I guess I would say two uh, parties to that. Uh, and the beauty of Lucasfilm being so small is you could just run over to so-and-so's desk because there was only so many of us, uh, sure. but, which is not the case at, at, at YouTube, let me tell you. But um, so in that instance, the story team would be responsible for creating that character's name, usually variations of the name. The director will, so uh, for J.J. Abrams in that case, he would have sign off on with, with Kathy what, what the final name should land on. Right. And then, then it goes into the legal team, right? So our clearance team, so one of my friends uh, at the time, I think there's only three or four legal uh, counsel, would handle vetting all of that, vetting the wow. translations, the localization. And then for logos, again, like her job would be to watch the film in its entirety as well, or the different iterations um, every single day, right? The dailies that come in and literally just scanning every scene, every t-shirt, every icon, you know, a lot of the shoes and props that we wore were designer clothes that we just modified, right? So making sure the logos aren't apparent uh, if if we didn't have a deal with them or so that's kind of how it's, it's captured. But like I said, it's, it's humans where we're, you know, we do our best. There's a, a lot of work that goes into it, but yeah. things happen. And sometimes we have to turn these things in a time frame that we don't have time to get cleared. So it becomes, okay, what countries are we prioritizing? Because those yeah. territories are where we're launching first. And then let's make sure we're clear there. So I'm not a clearance person. I know there's a lot more that goes into right. it, but they're a very critical part of the yeah. of the launch. Yeah, fascinating. Definitely. So you kind of talked about the different things you've done in the industry and how they've kind of led you to kind of guide you into figuring out what you want to do. How did you figure out each time? Like, Oh, this isn't quite what I want, but I think I want to move this direction. Yeah. And I think this is also like a self journey and personal development question as well, to be honest. And can't say that that answer is totally, well, we're not done. Right. right? (laughs) (laughs) You know, initially, and I was thinking about this a lot last night, I just wanted to, work in a space that was surrounded by people that were quote unquote masters at what they do. And a lot of that comes from my upbringing. Um, I am a Sicilian Armenian first generation, you know, first kid to go to college. I know a lot of us have these stories and, and so, and I am surrounded by people that are masters at their craft. My dad is a renowned jeweler. My uncles are iron chefs. I have all these people that have never went to school and they've been doing this thing since they were literally 10 years old. And I never had that. So I I really struggled with this. uh, And I, put in my bio, like more of a generalist vibe, because I I think I finally identify that way. I, I'm really good at being around these people and understanding what their needs are because they don't sometimes know what they need. And so when I was looking at jobs and to be honest too, I was, you know, college age, I was 21. I wanted to work in an industry that was like super sexy and fun. And everyone's like, Oh my God, you know? And, and I think that was kind of what started the ball. And after each job up until I will say alphabet, it was me running from something. So it was kind of me saying, okay, I, I can't do this anymore. I'm like, I, I need something that's productive or moving me forward. Or I'm, I feel good when I go home, you know, the, the tears are only good when it's a good tear, you know? Yeah. And, and, and then it was always my network understanding. I, I will say with my friends and my family, I, I am definitely the person that organizes the group trips, right. Or is right. the person driving right. the car when we're on a road trip, like that's definitely my personality. And so it was, you know, blowing the whistle, like Natalie needs a job who yeah. can help her and <laughs> it needs to be an entertainment and I don't want to drive across the 405. So yeah. that was, you know, like, <laughs> not, not that specific, but things like that, you know, where it, it was like, 
like really, and reaching out to people my dad knew or people mm -hmm. my cousins might know and having these really uncomfortable coffees or, oh, I met someone at an airport once and they said they had a son that worked in, you know, I, I mean, I will literally reach out to anybody. Yeah. I, I don't have any shame with that because you <laughs> never know who's going to say yes. Yeah. And I kind yeah. of do the same when people reach out to me. I wouldn't say try, I, I do the same. And and so that was kind of the journey. And, and at Paramount, it was the same thing. I sort of knew there was a lot of reputations about how the job would unfold and 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 what might happen in my career there and how long it might take. And so I, I kind of knew distribution was great. I love being on the studio side. I knew, I learned there that bu the business side of entertainment was for me. I never was an actor. I never wanted to be in front of screen. That, that was never my thing. But having the grit to be able to get to the nose. And so since I wasn't someone that had a clear direction, like in the beginning of your, your question, like I, I just wanted to do whatever. And then I learned all my nose along the way. Okay. Yeah. No, yeah. I don't want to do the agency track. If I'm not even guaranteed agent and making yeah. what we started at $12 and two cents to this day, whenever we get together, my CA friends are like 1202, 12, that was our first paychecks in 2011. Yeah. God. And we remember we got to 12.25. So big times. So <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile, our managers are making, you know, $20 million. Yeah. <laughs> so then after the studio, I, I found that the production company was best suited for me. I liked that we were yeah. all in one building. I liked the closeness. I, and that was what reminded me of my family's small businesses. And, mm -hmm. you know, if I know, you know, Ben's in whatever department and I can go to him and him and I yeah. had a really fun, you know, adventure together on this one set. Like I, I there's trust that gets built every yeah. single time something happens. And some say people say that's perpetuating suffering, but I think in the suffering, you kind of come together in this way that it's bigger than either of your suffering yeah. and it's to get this thing done. And you can look at that from many angles, but now that's kind of how I see it. And when yeah. I came to Alphabet and I'll say, that's the beauty of, of, of Google uh, Alphabet Inc to be clear is the mother company now of all the Google entities. Mm -hmm. And they really permit you to explore. And that was never an opportunity. I felt like I had an entertainment. Yeah. So you worked on, you know, Star Wars and Ninja Turtles and Mission Impossible. These are all huge franchises that personally I love. But when you're watching one of those films, are you like, oh, man, there's that BB-8 whose head always fell off. <laughs> you know, is that the kind of like experience you get or or are you able to immerse yourself in the film? Yeah, that's a great question. I will say I'm not a film buff in the sense that I'm someone that knows every actor and then, you know, remembers the history and all, and all that stuff right. and all the facts. But yes and no. I will say for Star Wars in particular, just because I touch that the closest and the most, I'm not distracted, but it is, it's weird when you know the people that are on screen. And I think that goes for anyone if, that sure. if you have actor friends or whatever. Yeah. Um, I think I definitely do get immersed. I mean, I, honestly, for me, sound is and music in a film is the most uh, emotional for me. So when it's all put together, um, and that's the buildup, right? Like, I think the hard part about working in tech is there isn't this this not instant gratification, but there isn't this kind of like release of like, aha, it's done. Because sometimes your projects get killed. And like, yeah, often. And yet in entertainment, there's this beautiful moment where your film gets made. And sure, yeah, I worked on some huge franchises, but even if you're doing it yourself, like there yeah. is this moment where you are sitting back and you're with people, sometimes the people that worked on it, sometimes your family, sometimes the random people at the theater. And to see a reaction I is very moving to me. And actually the moment when I really remember falling in love with Star Wars was at my first Star Wars celebration convention. I don't know if you're familiar with these, but they're basically yeah. like, Four days of just Star Wars. Yeah. I didn't know anything like this existed. Right. At the time, I think worked at the company maybe four or five months. So I was 
really getting into production and we get to the Anaheim Convention Center because this is before Star Wars Force Awakens launched. So it was a really big deal, right? Huge, this is the yeah. time Star Wars was coming back and it couldn't be messed up, right? But yeah. everyone's going to hate it because they will because it's not George, whatever. Right. And, uh, and we were launching all these new characters and all this stuff. And I just remember getting there and there was all these people dressed in costumes. And we're talking like sometimes a grandfather, son and grandson, or sometimes just a bunch of kids. I mean, and, and some people only knew it from the Lego Star Wars Legos. Like that's yeah. how they knew Star Wars. Some people only, I mean, no one had the same story of how they were introduced to Star Wars. And then we played the trailer, but we launched the trailer for the first time and everyone's freaking out. And I was like, wow, this is, so much bigger than anything I've ever been a part of. And so I guess for me, that was really special because yeah, yeah everyone loves mission and teenage mutant. I guess I just don't have the same emotional bond to it because I know how hard we work. And then to mm-hmm. see people who like, this means everything to them, you right. know? Right. And I, I was almost shocked, you know, and, and it was really beautiful. I shocked in a way that it's, it's just, you hear it and see it, but then when you live it, it's, you know, yeah. any experience. Right. But, yeah. uh, yeah, I would say Star Wars Celebration and the fans was really um, the most the emotional part of filmmaking for me. So it's, it's not just the scene it on the big screen. But I will right. say uh, the first time I took my dad to see oh. actually Rogue One uh, when because I wasn't credited in Force Awakens. But uh, in Rogue One, it was my first time ever getting credited in a feature film on like the whole thing. It was a fight. <laughs> Let me tell you, it is not easy to get those credit spots. Not everyone gets the credit. <laughs> And to see that and be with my family and it was just, and to hear the music, right. Yes. And, uh, it was a really special moment. Uh, and so, yeah, I think in entertainment, I was living for moments and I think yeah. that's fine too, but it was that, I think that was what was carrying me for so long. So mm-hmm. it's, it's just different. You get different sorts of, uh, happy wins and in, yeah. in, they're just sometimes not as grand yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So I know you talked about the moment with your dad being very unbelievable. Do you have any other kind of favorite or unbelievable moments that you want to mention from your career? I will say it's the most remarkable moments in Mm -hmm. my career uh, or the ones I'll take home are, are, are being with the people like while we're in the middle of the making. So I think that has been both some of the hardest and heartbreaking and exhausting moments. But I remember, um, Maybe it's not the most, but it's one I'm remembering right now. We were doing a commercial for Rogue One. We had a bunch of ch- children actors there. Um, and I had to put them in their little suits because we had to get them special, you know, different outfits for whatever characters they were playing because they were being little versions of actual stormtroopers and whatnot. Oh, okay. And a lot of them didn't speak English. We were we were in the Czech Republic, but these kids could be from anywhere. Okay. And I, I didn't even know they knew my name. We were, we were just hanging out, whatever. And... At the end of it, this one little boy came up to me and had, I still have it on my, my uh, cork board here, this little tiny card about the size, you know, two inches by two inches. And it said, thank you, Natalie, for like dressing me in this Aww. outfit. Like, I'll never forget this day, whatever. And his little writing. And I, I just, I, I melted because it was like, again, that feeling of yeah. doing this crazy thing where like pyro is going off in the middle of this weird desert. And we're in like a warehouse where they convert trains or something. I don't even know where we were. And, uh, and I haven't slept and like, I was there for 72 hours, you know, and, and everyone's upset about something's going wrong. And it just was really special. So it's, I guess those human moments for me, um, and seeing people at their craft, right. The people making the creatures, even the pyro guys, these guys are unbelievable yeah. the stuff yeah. that they do, you know and 
Um, and like I said, that whole coming back to like being around people that are masters at what they do, uh, especially at the level of the Star Wars franchise, right? Yeah. It's people have done this their entire lives. And so being around that to me, uh, I'll take for the rest of my life. I did get a Star Wars tattoo after That's I left. Cool. <laughs> so um, my little... Uh, to be or not to, or to be or not to be. Oh my God, what do I say? Uh, <laughs> do or do not. So that, that was my little ode, but those things are, are, are kind of the moments, my, my long answer for you. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Cause I mean, you had such a huge impact on that little kid's life and you know, uh, it, it just seen how that just shows how far reaching like movies and film and can be. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. That's the power of that franchise yeah, so and cool. just, just storytelling yeah. in general. Yeah. So what advice and you've already given a lot of good advice, but what <laughs> what more good advice do you have oh for people who are interested in getting into either project management, operations, or just the entertainment world in general? Like I said, if you are not clear on, uh, I'm going to be a writer, I'm going to be a director, I'm going to be an actor, but if you want to be in entertainment and maybe you have that MBA or you want to be on the business side, I do not have an MBA, just to be clear, being flexible and saying yeses to things that are not obvious door openers. And I, and the reason I stand by that so much is because I can't tell you how many conversations I have with my colleagues, even to this day, and especially at Google that are so upset that they said no to that one thing, just because they're like, I'm so above this. I'm like, but you were 20. What are you talking? You know, and now in retrospect, it's so clear, right? Hindsight 2020. But I I think I really encourage people. And I know that's hard. I know times have changed and, 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 Things are different, but I think uh, it's really being okay with saying yes to things that might not seem like they're they're a clear yeah. roadmap to where you want to go. Um, and everything's an experience, right? So I will say, even just learning how to put together or hold together different costumes. Like I'm not a costumer; I yeah. it's not my desire. I'm not a designer in fashion, but things that I've learned and the resources I've had to pull together, and that was part of my job. And that translates into project management, right? It's like this thing is falling apart. Press is going to be here in 45 minutes. I cannot get the Phasma costume to stand up during the <laughs> This is a real situation. What the hell are you going to do? And I was like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I was like, okay. And I saw outside of the convention center, there were sandbags. And I got one of the things, the dividers for when you're oh, standing yeah. in line. What do you, I forget what those are called. Stanchion? The stanchion, yeah. but the ones that like, um, ex- you know, that you yeah, can the extract it. Yeah. And I saw one of those and I put it behind her Phasma is the all chrome character, put it behind her back and then I wrapped it around her waist and I put sandbags on it. And then that freaking thing stood for that entire press <laughs> junket. And I, cause it was, t- I mean, what are you going to do? Literally yeah. 25 minutes, JJ's at the door, like all Hollywood reporter variety, everyone's, you know, you so figure it out. being able to like, you figure it out. And I will say that skill set, as stressful as it was, yeah, has helped me in very obscure ways in tech. Uh, because I think I'm able to see things maybe from a more practical standpoint. Uh, and a lot of people, uh, especially when I'm working with engineers, right, that the mindset is different. You're, yeah. you're a totally different part of the brain, I'm sure, even. And so I think that's helped me with my translation skills. So saying yes to those weird experiences mm-hmm. in the realm of the industry you want to be in uh, have all built up to those certain moments that were critical yeah. of like problem solving when some people were just like, I don't know what to do and I'm like I don't have time for that like we've got to go figure it out you know yeah. I don't 
that is not helpful. I've literally said right. that to exactly I'm like, this isn't helpful. So I'm going to go do something. Either yeah. you have an opinion or you don't. And that's mm-hmm. fine if you don't, but panicking's not, we don't have space for this right now. Right. Yeah. It's kind of like, none of us know what we're doing. All we can do is figure it out. So let's get to our featured film. Tara is discussing the 2000 romantic drama Love and Basketball. It was written and directed by Gina Pierce by the Wood and stars Sanaa Lathan, Omar Epps, Kayla Pratt, and Glendon Chapman. So before we get into it, Susan, can you give us a quick breakdown? What's this movie about? Yes, yeah, so this movie starts out in 1981. We meet Monica and Quincy. Monica's just moved in next door to Quincy. They both love basketball. Quincy's dad actually uh, played in the NBA. Quincy wants to do the same. Monica wants to play the, in the WNBA. Yeah, they're both obsessed with basketball. They click right away. Uh, they pretty much immediately, Quincy's like, hey, you want to be my girl? And she's like, yes. And then they, they immediately get into a fight and break up. <laughs> That's my, one of my favorite scenes. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Immediately. <laughs> yeah, immediately. <laughs> yeah. Their relationship lasted maybe a minute. Um, but then they grow up together. They live next door. So even though I I don't know that they're like, they're not like best friends throughout middle school and high school, um, but they do constantly interact. They both play basketball. They're both kind of there for each other. Uh, as friends in a way that's not that they don't totally make obvious to all their classmates yeah so it's really cool to see their relationship develop they both end up going to USC to play basketball um, and then things really take a turn in both their lives Uh, Monica really for the positive she gets a lot of success Quincy has some family drama he ends up having to deal with that really affects his uh, passion for basketball and his career Uh, and we just really see how they keep separating and coming back to each other throughout the whole movie and recolliding and reconnecting. So that's really interesting. We'll get into the plot more as we talk about it. But Great. So Natalie, before we get too much further, um, <laughs> you chose this movie for us to watch. Why did you choose Love and Basketball? I think it's really hard to pick a favorite of anything, yes. to be honest. But Love and Basketball is just one of those movies I adore. Uh, I feel like I watch it every five years or so so you know uh and i think one it's the time and the place right we're talking about la talking about the 80s and the 90s and the early two you know and uh which is very relatable to to me even just the nuance i was watching it again last night like yeah the way people are dancing and dressed and yeah. it's yeah. just such a uh i guess retro would be the word now but um it just makes it's a feel good and yeah. i think it's also one of those romance type of movies that isn't the typical girl chasing the boy right. or vice versa, you know, and then it ends obviously there. And I like that they split it into quarters. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, that was uh, cool. so there's a lot of different connection, but I think each phase of the kids relationships as they grow up um, with their families, number one, mm-hmm. um, and with each other and then with themselves is so relatable. Yeah. And it's one of the few films I feel like there is something that that's that's that real, even um, where they show the relationship between both parents. I feel like every rom-com is the one mom or the dad died of some obscure thing or a car yeah. crash. But this is two whole families um, with, with the siblings and the disconnect and yeah. the horribleness and the cheating and the whatever. But all these scenarios are so real. And, and some of them might be playing off stereotypes, but... It real every character represents something totally different. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think one it's the feel good. One yeah. it's the like you're dying for them to be together. Yes. <laughs> I don't know about you, Ben, but as a female, at least <laughs> when Quincy like is acting out and then yeah. you know dumps her for nothing just because he's not conveying right. his emotions. Like, come yeah. on, man. 
Uh, oh no, know, he was a dumbass for sure. Yeah, yeah, no, I know, but I just, you know, it's that moment of like, oh, they're in college, you have to remember that. But yeah, they're um, young. Yeah, it just all around, all the stages, absolutely love, love that Tyra Banks is in it. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think that's, it's just kind of, it's good through and through and never gets old. <laughs> yeah, it is. The, you're right. The relationships are so real and the mm-hmm. characters are very real. Like you just, they make, you know, the decisions they make are relatable. You can see where they're coming from. Even like Quincy breaking up with her, like he was what, like 18 and he had to deal with his parents' marriage, like exploding. Um, So of course he's going to be like kind of spiraling a little bit. And yeah. So I think even when he's kind of at his worst, he's still a very relatable character. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And I, I thought the characters in this were so good. The actors are so good in this. Um, And I mean, yeah, there's that thing where it's like, you know, it's like, you know, 25 and 30 year olds playing high schoolers, right? It's like, yeah, okay. All right, guys. But at the same time, it's like, you really fall in love with these characters mm-hmm. and you do want them to succeed and you do want them to be together. And I was like, I did catch myself getting mad at Quincy. It was like, stop being dumb. It was like, I was like, yeah, you're dealing with stuff. But I mean, I really like the Monica character so much. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't, when I was watching it, it didn't really come off to me as the format wasn't exactly the, the same, right? Mm-hmm. It was very different. Yeah. Um, and the way that the characters like talk to each other and the conversation that Monica has with her mom towards yeah. the end of the film is yeah. so real. Yeah. That relationship, that wasn't even like a focus of the film, but it, it still found time to take a break and be like, what what do you think of your mom and, and her role and, and how it affected you and, you know, growing up and all these things. And it was so real and so, you know, raw, but also like every little moment like sort of added up to be to to reveal things about Monica and Quincy. And I mm-hmm. thought that was so smart and it's so well directed. And, and like this movie came out in 2000, but the the basketball in it is exciting. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it, totally, it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like that, <laughs> the the literal, I mean, not to spoil too much, but the, the, yeah. the basketball game at the end between the two yeah. of them yes. is yeah. like the highest stakes oh game of God. basketball yeah. ever. And it yeah. takes a place at like 3 a.m. Yeah. In, in like their, you yeah. know, in their garage or yeah. in their uh, driveway. driveway. Yeah, so. Uh, the tension in that scene is so good. So good. It's like, <laughs> Uh, it's just so well done and it's so simple like there's no crowd right you know there's all these tension with the earlier like championship games and stuff but that one like i i was like worried i was like what's gonna happen <laughs> like <laughs> you, you've seen so many sports movies yeah. where it's like the championship game right. is uh, like you is know the high tension right moment, but, left and yeah right yeah but this it's really it's like their relationship is always at the heart of everything, which right. I think is really cool. Like a cool way to do a rom com that's also sports based, and they still do the sport a lot of justice in the way they yeah. show it. Right, it's yeah. really well done. Yeah, I mean, I've never seen this movie before. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so I, I was like, oh, this this is actually really great. Um, <laughs> and so you know, normally the romance is not my movie genre, sure. but this this was delightful. So thank you for recommending it. Oh, yeah. good, good, yeah. good. Very good pick. I love the characters. Uh, the kids, the actors that played all so the good. younger versions so of themselves cute. were so good. So good. Um, even like, 
you know, the tension when she first comes up to the basketball court when they're like, oh, hey, you're here. And she takes her hat off and they're like, you're a girl? Like, yeah. shock at that. And then she just is like this awesome player. Dominate. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I love, loved that scene. And then, yeah, of course, the scene where he's like, wouldn't be my girl. And then they immediately break up. Was <laughs> yeah. Very yeah. good. They definitely lead you in a way that you feel like, oh, yes, it's, it should be this way. This feels satisfying. And it's yeah. like, wait, what? But then it also is satisfying that they yes. broke up. Like, <laughs> and um, and I'd say one of the the most stressful scenes for me, but also the most relatable too, was when she has to hit curfew, but he wants to talk about his yeah totally. Then that argument and all these things. Mm-hmm. And initially, my reaction was like, "Dude, you're being an ass. Like, you should know she has this." But it is true. It's like we've also been there too, where we want to yeah. make you guys know as partner. You know, like there's this demand, and you want to ha- be heard and listened to. Yeah. And, and it's such a it's such a struggle to put someone else's needs above yours all the time. And um, and that partnership. And so I think it is a really nice, well done scene because yeah. it's accurate to where they were in their lives, right? right? They were in college. And I was proud of her too. I'm like, I don't know that in college, I would have had that restraint. I, I wasn't yeah. an athlete in, uh, I mean, I was an athlete growing up, but I didn't play like D1 or anything. And mm-hmm. I think having that restraint and commitment was true to what the character was yeah. and not her giving in. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. I can't, I'm glad that you were exposed to this film. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen this before, Susan? A long time ago. Okay. Um, yeah. When it first came out, I did see it. Nice. But like, there was a lot I forgot and rewatching it was really fun. Cause I like, I hadn't seen it for so long that all the, all those tense moments, all those really good moments were like, just as satisfying. Yeah. Totally. I love throughout the film that every time these characters are in their bedrooms, they're just looking out the window mm-hmm. at the <laughs> other person and that, and they just happen to be in their room at the same time. You know, there's just little moments in this. Um, the design is great. Uh, the directing is is so good. It's just a very impressive film. And also, going back, Tyra Banks is in this movie, and like a great. I don't know if it'd be a cameo. She was was she she was pretty famous when this came out, 2000. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, she I was huge. When, um, that that doll movie came out. Yeah, that's like the original, but it was I feel like around the same yeah. time. Yeah, so it's like this is a really fun cameo by her, <laughs> um, and just. I mean, she seemed, her character seemed like the nicest person in the world, but I didn't want him to be with her. No, cannot be. Cannot be. I do feel kind of bad for that character. I do a little bit, like, because she did seem genuinely nice, but also... But also, she knew about Monica, and if she's she, a Monica, yeah, you yeah. Have to be careful. Right. yeah. <laughs> of course, of course, you're cheering for Monica, yes. right? Yeah. yeah. This movie does really a nice job of balancing the sports element with like the romance. Yeah, they do, and yes. that's very hard to do. Mm-hmm. Natalie, did you have a favorite scene in the movie? Ooh. Um, I do love, maybe this is because I went to an all girls school, so I didn't get to have the traditional like dances, but when she shows up with the college boy at the dance, just to like prove like that Mm -hmm. she, you know, her sister helped her, that to me was living out like, I I feel like a a get back at you scene (laughs) for my, my, the child in me. Uh, I don't know that it was my favorite, but it was my most like, haha, like that, you know kind of a scene and so uh and it was so clear she didn't want to be with him and I love how awkward she is but I'll, I'll say that's one of my favorite relatable not relatable scenes um for, for me and she just looks so pretty and you know it is that traditional like yeah it comes out right. of the, her shell and and right. or whatever but mm-hmm. I, I just think it was fun and it was tasteful too like yeah. she's she stays you know she she doesn't veer too off course she wasn't in some crazy outfit she's right. in a really tasteful, beautiful right. gown and even the moment with her mom exchanging the pearls with yeah, like 
connected, but yeah. So I, I'd say probably the dance scene is one of my, and then of course what happens after the dance scene. Yes. And stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So good. Yeah. Susan, there's a, there's do- a lot of good scenes in this movie. I, if I had to pick one, um, I think it's that initial when they first meet when they're kids and mm-hmm. the best one, she takes her hat off and then, yeah, they play. I think I was just really f- a fun reveal, you know, but there's so many good scenes when the girl, you know, that she gets pushed down and has mm-hmm. scratches on her face, but then, you know, she's like cleaning herself up and then she like smiles. Like, yeah, yeah. I was like, okay, you're awesome. Yeah. You know. Oh, and when, again, right after that, he's trying to write the I'm sorry note to her and he's just like, I can't do this. Right. <laughs> like, Even the bubble like, letters, right? Like, so yes. nice. Like, this yeah. Guy, you know, so. very period so accurate good. handwriting. Yes. Yes. <laughs> 11 year old boy. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think my favorite scene is the basketball game between them at the end because it is so dramatic but mm-hmm. you know but it's also like very quiet but it's it's just really really well done of yeah. like you know ma- forcing the characters to face what they want mm-hmm. you know yes. yeah. yeah and really well acted i mean it's not yeah. even's reactions like i could see she had a lot of pain on her face like in panic when yeah. they, they got to the second half of that game in the driveway like really just really well acting in this too it, it was all around We'd like to finish up our show today with a game that we're calling One-on-One. We're going to see how well both of you know famous sports movie titles. Natalie, you'll be playing against Susan. So, here are the rules. I'm going to give you the title of a well-known film, but not the entire title. A word will be missing and you have to fill it in. As soon as you know the word, shout it out. And the first person to name it correctly will get a point. If you're wrong, the other player will get a chance to steal. I have nine movies for you to identify, and the first person to name five correctly will win our prize. So, Susan, what's our prize? There's some Life in the Credits merchandise, like a shirt or a mug or something like that, and we'll mail cool. that to you. Yeah. All righty. Natalie, are you ready to get started? I think so. Susan, are you ready? <laughs> Let's do it. All right. Here's your first movie title. Blank the Titans. Remember. Remember is correct. Natalie, you're on the board. Very good. All right. Number two. Blank Tanya. Is it I am Tanya? I'm sorry, that's not correct. <laughs> Natalie, do you have an is answer? I, is it I, comma, Tanya? Or yes. I, oh, it's literally cool. just I, Tanya. Oh, no, I thought there was a punctuation in there. <laughs> yeah, I, like, I think there is, but of course I said two words. So that's why I was like, I don't think that's correct. But No, it was not correct. Yeah. So Natalie gets another point. Okay. All right, Susan, get in the game. Okay. <laughs> Number three. Any given blank. Sunday. Yes, Susan. Sunday. Oh. Very good. <laughs> wow. Well, she was that. on it. Yes. All right. <laughs> Two to one. Number four. Blank it like Beckham. End it. Yes, Natalie. That is correct. <laughs> I have actually never seen that movie. Oh, you got you guys. No, I know. I, I need to. I don't know how I missed I'm it. I'm surprised you haven't I know. Seen it. I don't know why I haven't. It's a classic, classic film. Yeah. Classic, classic. All right. Number five. Caddy blank. Shaq. Yes, Susan. <laughs> Caddy Shaq is correct. We are five questions in. The score is three to two. Oh, close. Natalie's in the lead. Tight, though. All right, next one. Happy blank. Feet? Uh, feet? Oh, no, Happy Gilmore. Happy oh. Gilmore is correct. Very okay. good. Because it's sports. Yeah. <laughs> good recovery there, Natalie. Uh, happy feet is... 
I guess it's dancing. It's I mean, dancing. There's a lot of dancing. It's not a sport per se. It's like a <laughs> penguin. All right, next one. A blank of their own. League. Yes. A league of their own. A that league of their cool. own is correct. Woo, close game. Four to three. Oh my God. Ooh. If Natalie yeah. gets another point, she wins. Okay. How many do we have left? There, two? We have two left. Okay. And the first person to five will win. Susan, you could you can win still, but Natalie only needs right. one more point. Okay. Let's see what happens. Oh my god. The blank lot. Sandlot. Oh. Yes, Natalie. You, <laughs> you clinched the game with the I sandlot. That do- is a fantastic I would have after yeah. Love and Math, I would have I love the one. Sandlot. Yeah, that's a great movie. Um, can we do the last one just Yes, oh, we yeah. can, just for fun. <laughs> just for fun. The last one. Raging blank. Bull? Yes. <laughs> Raging is, Bull uh, that's is another correct. movie I've never seen, but I it's a roller coaster as well, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, it is a roller coaster at Six Flags, but that is not okay. what the movie is I about. Know, but I was like, what? I know, <laughs> but I've never seen the movie. It is, so, like, it, in my mind, it's about the movie. <laughs> <laughs> that is hilarious. Uh, uh, it's a boxing movie. Yeah, uh, wow. yeah a very famous yeah. Uh, film. Uh, not about roller coasters, but <laughs> that's okay. Well, congratulations, Natalie. Yeah, yeah. well done. Yes. <laughs> well, uh, Natalie, before we let you go, would you like to plug anything? Yes, uh, I would like to actually plug my family business. My dad's about to celebrate 50 years um, oh, in business. Cool. He, Amazing. Uh, moved to the America in the 70s and, and opened his shop here. Uh, so Kochek Jeweler, my last name, Kochek Jewelers in Carmel. It's it's a long family tradition uh, we have many generations of people that get their jewelry there and so if you are looking for a special engagement ring or a birthday present or an anniversary please check us out on instagram at coach nice. uh but yeah I, i'd say that that'd be mo- most important for me um with my family and, and all the work everyone does very cool congratulations to him for 50 yeah that's amazing awesome yeah we'll <laughs> check out his stuff well, thank you so much for being on yeah, the show this today. Was, this was amazing. This was really fun. Yeah, was really I had a lot of fun too. If there's ever anything I can do, or if someone wants to reach out on LinkedIn or whatever, uh, or social media, I, I'm more than happy to continue conversations. I think it is an important step. I'm still getting used to being the fact that I've you know been in this industry yeah. for over a decade. I'm turning into those uh, you know that those people in their career. And so, <laughs> if there's anything I can do, um, I, I would uh, love to to help or or to talk. Life in the Credits is hosted and produced by me, Susan Swarner. And me, Ben Bloom. It's executive produced by Michelle Levin. The music is written and performed by Steve Trowbridge. You can hear more of Steve's music at TrowbridgeSounds.com. The show logo is created by Melissa Durkin. If you'd like to support Life in the Credits and get access to exclusive perks, you can do so at Patreon.com. If you'd like to follow or get a hold of us, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Life in the Credits or shoot us an email at LifeInTheCredits at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. You know, when Ray in the first scene is going across the desert in her speeder bike and there's dust behind her, he goes, I'm the dust guy. I made the <laughs> You got to meet the dust guy? I'm the dust guy. I was like, what? <laughs>